Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your grace, for Your mercy, for the ways that You love us, for the ways that You redeem us and call us to Yourself, for the ways that You correct us when we have strayed into error, for the ways that You welcome us. You tell us that Your Word is uh, is useful for uh, for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, and for training in righteousness. And so, God, we ask that You would um, teach us, correct us, rebuke us where we need it, and train us uh, for righteousness. We ask, God, that You would inhabit uh, this teaching, that You would forgive uh, my own sins, and that You would um, bless us as we turn to Your own Word that You have spoken to us this morning. We ask this. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, we're in uh, week three of a Lenten study of Galatians. Uh, Galatians is uh, one of the uh, letters of Paul, and I still do what I learned to do in high school. If I'm looking for Galatians, and you're just going to flip to you know Ephesians or Colossians or something like that, I always just say General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. <laughs> I, I just, this way I learned it, that's what I do, that's how I still find it. Uh, that's how I found it just a minute ago, General Electric Power Company. Um, so Galatians is one of the books of the Bible, one of the letters of Paul that really was uh, instrumental and um, pivotal uh, in the Protestant Reformation because it articulates so clearly and powerfully uh, the doctrine of justification by faith, uh, but I like it as a Linton. But I, I like it as that. But I also like it as a Linton study uh, because uh, <laughs> Paul is uh, is rebuking, and it is a it calls us to look at ourselves, to question uh, ourselves, to uh, to see where we have uh, relied on our own works. Uh, the if you have been with us or. Maybe if you, if you haven't been with us, just to catch you up a little bit, uh, where most letters start out from Paul, uh, I miss you, I'm praying for you, God bless you. Galatians starts out, uh, Paul drops the gloves and goes bare knuckles uh, with the Galatians immediately. Uh, I am astonished that you have so quickly departed from the teaching, actually from him, uh, who, speaking of Jesus, not just the teaching, but, but from him. The problem with the Galatians was doctrinal, not moral. In fact, it, you know, it's, it's, it just runs counter to what we understand because they were like being too moral. They were, they were doing the things um, uh, according to the Jewish law, which is good. You should do, I mean, I, you should do the things that the law says. Particularly when you think about the, the Ten Commandments, but you should not require those things. Uh, in, in order to understand God's salvation because the cross of Christ is sufficient, right? And I don't mean sufficient in a mediocre way. It means I mean, it has fulfilled everything that you need. Uh, the cross of Christ is, um, is the way that we are. There is nothing to add to it. Jesus plus anything equals nothing, right? But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We've just said that before. So, um, so Paul has... Uh, been addressing concerns or complaints or false teaching, I guess, uh, heretical teaching that has come in that said that in order to be sure Jesus has saved us, uh, has died for our sins, but in order for you to be a true Christian, uh, you need to be uh, circumcised and do other things to follow the law, which, um, and, and you won't be, that sort of keeps your salvation. Uh, 
Paul meant very well, they would say, but he wasn't actually a real apostle. He didn't walk with Jesus. So Paul spent a lot of time in chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2 defending his own apostolic authority because he has been uh, he was met by Christ on the road to Damascus. Uh, this is not something that he came up with himself. He says this is not man's gospel. He did not learn it from Peter. Uh, but what he learned from Christ, he didn't just learn it in a box. So, you know, like if, if the Mormons come and knock on your door, they will say you just have to take it on faith. Joseph Smith had it. We don't have any corroborating f- uh, evidence or anything like this. I, I've, I've talked with them. Um, and um, <laughs> they were like, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but the, um, but they, uh, uh, it was, it, it, so you, you just have to take that on faith, they say. That's how God chose to do it. Well, sort of, you know, at first when I was reading this, I thought, well, how is that different? But it's different because Paul said, I went to the apostles, Peter and James and John, and what I got independently of them, they said matched it up completely with what they got from Jesus. And so they gave me what he calls the right hand of fellowship, right? So, so what I got from Christ, because he appointed me an authority, appointed me an apostle, matches exactly with what you're, the people you're saying are the apostles, get, got from me. So he defends his apostolic authority. Now he has moved into the theology, right? Remember, I, I held up the, um, the, the letter to the Corinthians, who are just morally all over the place. Paul greets them with charity and says, hey, we've got to get this stuff together, right? You need to act in a way that is in accord. But he doesn't, but he doesn't I mean, there, there's some tension with the Corinthians, but he, does it, he speaks them charitably. But when you change, fundamentally change the gospel message, Paul goes a little ap- apoplectic, right? So, um, so he begins, let's read uh, chapter 3. I'm going to, um, I think what I'll do is I'll read the whole thing, if you can, if you can bear with me, and then we'll, we'll work our way back through it. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations... Be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, 
So that in Christ, sorry, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. And to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through the angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, according, heirs according to promise. The word of the Lord. All right. That's pretty clear, right? Amen. The Lord be with you. Um, There's a lot that's clear, but there's a lot that requires a little... um, discussion as well. And there's some things that I'd actually have questions about that I have not yet answered. So we'll see if you have, see if you can spot the things I just skip over nonchalantly. Um, so he begins this, this section, this little paragraph with a, with a series of rhetorical questions. Uh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now I'm actually uh, quite grateful that we have, that just coincidentally, if there is a coincidence, that we have this passage in um, right alongside the uh, passage from 1 Corinthians, which we will read in the, uh, in the service. Some of you have already been to church. Some of you will go to church. Um, and what Paul says in 1 Corinthians is, is Christ, um, uh, the word of the cross, the message of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing. It just doesn't make sense. So the Galatians are, are, um, have departed from the faith because it just doesn't make sense that all we would have to do is believe that a, that a man died for the sins of the whole world. Can you ima- I mean, you cannot actually get your head around the sins of the whole world. I mean, you just, I was thinking about this, I actually cut this part out of the sermon, but if you just think about, just take one industry, like the pornography industry, or the sex tra- trafficking industry, or the dr- sort of illicit drug industry, 
Not to mention, I mean, just think of the darkness in that one multi-billion dollar industry and then add them all together and then just compound the sins and the thoughts, words, and deeds of just everyday regular people. I mean, it is, it, and now let's just multiply it across the millennia. I mean, it is just, it, there's no way for our heart and mind, and it's a mercy. It's a mercy for us that, it, that, it can't, that we can't really comprehend just how big we're talking about. We naturally sort of think, he died for the sins of the whole world. That's, that takes that's like three, four words, and it just it just seems small to us. But it is, they are foolish, not because they're stupid, but because foolishness in this sense means they have departed from uh, the word because it didn't make sense to them. Who has bewitched you? There's, I mean, he's he's recalling. They were under. These are pagans, or former pagans. I mean, they're Gentiles. They understand what it means to be bewitched. It. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, I was there. I taught you. You saw me. We, we taught him. You weren't there when Jesus was crucified. But you heard me talk about this, right? And so let's think about it. Let's think together about this, brothers. Did you receive the Spirit? Are miracles happening? Do you see the Spirit working in you because you are so moral? Because you are religious, because you're going to church all the time, because you have done certain things, or is it because God is gracious and because Jesus died for your sins? And, and what Paul is saying, I mean, Paul, is, it's a rhetorical question. The answer should be, obviously, it is because God is gracious, not because you have done any particular thing. I mean, what he's going to say later is if you accept circumcision, just forget the whole thing. Just, just be a Jew, but but don't call yourself a Christian because Christians believe that Jesus's sacrifice is sufficient. Now, um, it only makes sense what Paul is saying that if if you were um, if the Spirit came upon you by faith and not by works, this is he's, it only makes sense that this is not a bait and switch. Anybody? Anybody seen an ad in the paper? Hey, buy this brand new car for $5,000 and you come in and it's, oh, well, we have that. It's that hot pink one with three wheels at the back of the corner. But I, uh, a lot, but I have, I have, so you can buy that for $5,000, but, but, but then I, I'm actually, I've got this brand new, wonderful one for twenty. So it's, um, it's just, it's bait and switch. It's just, I think, illegal. But, um, but it, we, we see it all the time, right? He's saying you don't start one way. But then continue another, like oh, you're, you know, that's, I mean, that's the thing, like, and it kind of, I don't know about you, but sometimes my faith feels like a bait and switch. I mean, I don't know if that, if you, here's what I mean by that, that I will, uh, yeah, I want because I'm giving my life to Christ, because I'm, I'm trying to serve Most High God, I want my life to be easy, right? He ought to reward me. That, I mean, shouldn't He pat me on the back and say, well done? For make, I mean, I sure did make a good choice when I chose you, Joe. I just, um, I, I just, I mean, shouldn't he just reward me with with smooth sailing? And and the answer is, I mean, Paul never says that. Paul Paul says you will participate in the sufferings of Christ. And I will tell you, if I did not know that, I think I would have abandoned this whole thing. I mean, I really, I, I mean, you're laughing. I I just think. What a pre- if I didn't know Christ and didn't know that I that my suffering was to be expected, 
Because I think that at first it felt like a little like, like oh, you know, if you give your life to Christ, you, you, you'll be blessed. Well, I am blessed, but I'm blessed in suffering, darn it. <laughs> um, but what a privilege. I mean, I, you know, I don't like it. I like it. And, and honestly, like, it's, I, I, feel, I feel there are so many times where I feel so, gosh, so fortunate to, to be the one who preaches this and teaches this because I have to be in it all the time because I forget it so easily. So if you don't want, if you find yourself forgetting a lot, I'll help you, you know, I'll set up a Bible study for you to teach and you'll get it all the time. So, um, <laughs> you laugh, it is good. So, yeah, yeah, Rick, how's it going, Rick? Thumbs up, buddy. Um, so then, so Paul goes back to Abraham, and Abraham, he's believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is one of the principal texts that Paul constantly returns to. We see this in Romans 4, which I'm going to uh, uh, read in just a minute. But, um, but this comes from Genesis chapter 15. And of course, the, the, the genius of this is this is the very headwaters of, of the Hebrew people, right? Abraham. This is before Abraham, before Sarah was pregnant with, Sarah, with uh, Isaac. And Abraham is called out of Iraq. Uh, Ur of the Chaldeans and brought to the land of Canaan. And he says, I'm going to make you a giant nation so much that your descendants will outnumber the sand of the sea. And Abraham's like now a hundred years old. And he's like, just come on, man. You know? Um, and so this is what, this is what uh, happens uh, here in... Um, in Genesis chapter 15, after this is, he's Abram. He's not even Abraham yet at this point. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, for I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. I mean, there is nothing about Abram that has, has invited this, such blessing or such favor upon God. It is purely grace. He is chosen, not by his own merit. I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me, Abram said to God, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household, like one of his servants, is what he's saying, will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. Now here's Abram in his late 70s at this point. And listen, I'm in my early-ish 40s. <laughs> and if God promised me a kid, I'd be like, Dude, I don't... <laughs> I got three. That's that's what um, I don't. But so he's in the late seventies, and it's still going to be like twenty years. I mean, and yet he doesn't have. I mean, you think about the magnitude of the of the promise that God is giving to this moon worshiping wanderer, and he believed the Lord. This is verse six in chapter fifteen, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is before Abram get, or Abraham gets circumcised. They have not made the covenant. In fact, what happens right after this is that strange scene 
where God says, okay, now since you since you have believed me, not in order to prove it to you, but since you have believed me and it has been credited to you, imputed to you as righteousness, I want you to take, what does he say? A heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought these and he cut them all in half. It's kind of, kind of gory, right? Um, and they didn't have uh, standards of cleanliness back then, apparently. But, um, but this is how they, what you call, cut a covenant. When a, uh, a, a land lord, I don't mean the owner of an apartment, but, a, but a, you know, a vast estate owner, rented out some land to a, a vassal, a, um, a serf of some kind, in order to take their, uh, they would farm their land, and they made an agreement, they would cut a covenant. And the lesser person would walk through that and basically say, if I don't hold up my end of the deal, this is what's going to happen to me. It's, it's pretty, I mean, gruesome by our standards, but it made the point, right? <laughs> well, that's how, that's how you cut the covenant. Yeah, so, and so God says, um, get these, and that's just the way they shook hands. And I, I don't know. Then they had a barbecue or something afterwards. But they, um, <laughs> but they, uh, then so they, so Abraham cuts these animals in half. But then he falls asleep. It's just a strange sort of thing. It says this dr- dreadful darkness fell upon him, and the Lord says to Abraham while he's asleep, "Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there." Speaking of Egypt, Egypt, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. That's what happened. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, if you came in our, to our Judges um, and Joshua series last fall, you, we talked about that. But then, Abram never walks between the animals. This smoking fire pot. I don't have a lot to tell you about this, about what that imagery is, but the, but everyone, Jewish scholars, Christian scholars, understand this is God's presence, walking through. Now the 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 greater party in these transactions doesn't do that. He doesn't walk through. And in other words, what God is saying is, if you don't hold up your end of the deal, this is what's going to happen to me. It is a beautiful, amazing thing about. Uh, pointing us to the cross. For, of course, there is where we hadn't held up our end of the deal, and he suffered on our behalf. And so, all of this is happening not because Abraham has done uh, anything according to the law, but because God is gracious. The headwaters of our faith, Paul is saying. So in Romans chapter 4, he says this, he says, what, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about before God. Actually, I'm sorry, it says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So, in other words, what Paul is saying, Abraham was justified by faith. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. I mean, if you go to work and you work, 
you expect that they, they're going to hold up their end of the bargain. They're going to pay you. It's not a gift that you get a, a, a paycheck. You've agreed on it. You've signed the contract. You do your work. They pay you for it. If you work, you get what is due. And the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from his work. So he, what he's saying is that it's not this idea, this concept is not new. This idea of justification by faith is from the very headwaters of our faith in Abraham. And then he also in Romans mentions David as well. But God has always welcomed people by faith. That's the way that we have a relationship with God, not by works of the law. And he says, Abraham isn't the father of um, children, God's children by ancestry, but he's the father of God's children by faith. So if you are faithful, then you are one of God's children. Uh, Abraham's children is what Paul says. All right, so we're going to go. I, we're we're going to keep going. Tell me at, any questions. We're good. Okay, we need to keep going. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. In other words, if you if you are going to do what the um, if you're going to say I, I need to do this, these things in order to um, to be to ensure my salvation, then you better do it all. Because if you don't do it all, then you are going to suffer the consequences. Of, of not obeying the law. And then he gives these four, he quotes Old Testament scripture, Hebrew scripture, uh, four, four different verses in this little, one little paragraph. It's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That is Deuteronomy 27, 26. you got to do it all. That's the deal. It's like a chain. You know, strong, a chain is really strong, but if you cut one link, the whole, it breaks apart. You've got to have all the links. Now it's evident that no one's justified by the law. No, in other words, the, the prophets have never said that you're going to be able to do it because the righteous shall live by faith. That's Habakkuk. The last time you read Habakkuk, <laughs> I recommend it. It's pretty short. It's one of the little guys. The, the uh, called the minor prophets, uh, not because they were less important, just because they were didn't write a lot. Habakkuk two four, and the context in Habakkuk is about those who are puffed up because of all they've accomplished. And, and um, But Paul says, uh, we might emphasize we're, the righteous shall live by faith. But Paul actually emphasizes, they're all emphatic. The righteous, that is those who are accepted by God, live, not perish, by faith, which is trust in God's grace and not by what we have done. Faith, faith in God. The righteous shall live by faith. That's a quote from Habakkuk. But the law is not of faith because the one who does them shall live by them. You don't need faith to do the law. You just need to do your job, right? Leviticus 18.5, the one who does the works of the law shall live by them. In other words, do them and you don't have anything to worry about. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, the, the uh, threat that if you don't do it all, you're, you're going to be um, cursed. Because he became a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. That's Deuteronomy 21, 23. I mean, Paul's a smart dude, right? He just, I mean, he doesn't probably have all the scrolls. He just, he just writing it out. But he's making the case, isn't this amazing? He's making the case from the Jewish scriptures to the people who are trying to be Jewish and Christian at the same time. To say, look, even the texts that you're trying to follow in order to be a great Christian say that the righteous shall live by faith. And the headwaters say 
He believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. So that is, I don't awesome to me. I mean, it's kind of nerdy. I mean, it's it's um, it is, um, it takes some study to get into those verses. But what he's doing is making the case. This has always been the way. So then he gives a, a human, he says, I give, let me give you a human example. Even with a man-made covenant, and they didn't, as far as I know, at this time, now Paul's time, in a, in a, um, apart from Abraham's time, they didn't walk through dead animals anymore to make covenants, but they, they had scrolls and they signed papers and things. Um, but no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Like you, don't sign, you, you don't sign on the dotted line for your mortgage and then ask them to come off the price. <laughs> hey, we throw in the refrigerator. Are you done. Now you're not getting it, right? Um, because it has already been ratified. And so we are going to, uh, to, to uphold the agreement no matter what comes later. And that's what Paul is saying is that the law came 430 years after this covenant with Abraham, but it didn't annul the covenant. Are you uh, saying it was 400, Abraham lived 430 years before? What was the 430? Uh, well, that was Egypt and, and, and then um, and Moses. Okay. Okay? And I don't want to, I mean, you can go back and look and you probably find that it was. Five hundred. I, I don't know. I mean, but it's 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 it was a long. It's about the right amount of time. I don't want it. Don't take that as a specific. Although four hundred thirty is fairly specific, but um, but he's saying that Moses's law doesn't annul what was given to Abraham. I mean, the question then he asks is is why the law? But let's let's hold on for just a second. Paul's saying that that God had already signed signed on the dotted line. Right? He walked through the animals. Uh, uh, the subsequent giving of the law didn't change the covenant um, by which Abraham believed the Lord, and that belief was credited to him as righteous. In other words, it's not a bait and switch. Okay? So the million dollar question. <laughs> then why the law? Right? Why 2,000 years of us getting our tails kicked by prophets? Uh, our, you know, uh, running around in obedience, why, uh, disobedience, why does God care so much? He's, he's exiled the people because they were disobedient. Why the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come. Not, <laughs> it's funny, I don't, I don't know the details of the Hebrew or the Greek scripture enough to say if the original offspring, offsprings, I mean, we, we, we say the word offspring, that, that's plural, right? We don't use the word offsprings. And so, but that's the way Paul, Paul makes it plural. Um, I don't know enough to, to tell you about the the grammar there, but it was put in place through an, by through angels by an intermediary, and the intermediary is Moses, right? So, so God gave the law to Moses. Moses then gave the law uh, to the people. An intermediary implies more than one. There's got to be somebody else. But now Jesus, what Jesus has given to us. He said, "There's not one because God, Jesus is God. So there's not an inter. He, Jesus is our mediator. He's our intermediator, but He is God too. He stands between us and the wrath of the Father because He took His own wrath because His imperfect, the Son's will in perfect accord with the Father's. He took His own wrath. So there is no intermediary in the sense except that Jesus, who is God. Is that? I mean, it's a little confusing. I'll admit. You get it? Are you with me? That's the spirit right there. All right. Um, 
So then, all right, we know, okay, let's just, just hypothetically say that we accept that the law was given in order to demonstrate our own sinfulness to sinners, right? We just show that we need a Savior. Um, let's say we get that. It was added because of transgressions. We were sinners, so we needed a way to articulate that. So um, then is that contrary to the promise? Are they, um, is the Scripture are you saying now that the promise of God that your uh, righteousness comes through faith, not by the law, is that contrary? Or we have a contradiction. Certainly not, Paul says. Because if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would be by the law. It, it articulates, it, it describes a righteous life. If you are following God because you love Him so much, and you just, then you, and, and everything is about God, you're going to do what the law says. Yeah. But you're not doing it in order to obey the law. The law, here's what the way they described it in, when I was in seminary. The law lacks the enabling word. It what? It lacks the enabling word. The in, it lacks. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't a very good way to describe it. It cannot <laughs> produce the thing that it requires. It requires righteousness. It requires perfection. It cannot get you to do that any more than the speed limit sign describes a good life, right? Describe Everybody goes 35 down San Jose, less wrecks, you know, lower insurance, cheaper gas prices. Forget it. I got somewhere to be, right? And the law describes it. It can't make me do it. The law of God, you, it, it, there's nobody who has committed adultery who didn't think that adultery was wrong. They knew the law. It didn't stop them. The law lacks, it requires obedience given selflessly in love. Martin Luther always would say that to fulfill the law is not simply to do the law, but to do it because you love God, not to save yourself. So I've been watching this uh, on Netflix, um, the NBC show called The Good Place. Yes. It's hilarious. It is, it is not um, biblical uh, uh, description of heaven. Okay, let's just get that. But it, it actually is getting... Now we're in about episode 11 or 12, and it gives us some pretty complex and interesting ethical issues. Um, it's got a little language in it, and, you know, um, take it for what it's worth. I think it's really funny. But see, so the shtick is that this uh, Eleanor has gotten to the good place by accident. She was a terrible person. But she gets to know these great people, and she wants to stay there because she doesn't want to go to the bad place, right? So she has to change her point total. I mean, it's just... Legalism. I mean, it's just say, and so she tries to do all these good things, and her point total doesn't change at all because she's doing it to save herself. And then she goes, you know what? I'm just causing destru destruction for all these people. So she writes every one of them an apology note and head and heads out, and her point total skyrockets. Aww. Not because she left, uh, but because she was serving them out of a, a real genuine love for them. It's re I, I can't wait to see what that. I mean, it's just really interesting. I'm still in season one, yeah. Well, it's, it's a nice little twist. Well, yeah, no, okay, show me. All right, don't, don't tell me, don't tell me. But the, the, the point is, is it, when we, when, all of us can do good works and then pat ourselves on the back for them. And that's what Isaiah meant, our good works are filthy rags. Because the law is only fulfilled when we do it because we love God. And yet grace, this is what Paul is saying, grace creates what the law wants. Grace is the enabling word. Grace 
love that you don't deserve. When you have been loved, when you don't deserve it, it makes you want to do the thing you're supposed to do. Now, I'm not saying that humanity can't say, thanks a lot, I'll see you. I mean, take it and run. I mean, I'm, we're, we're sinners. We're capable of running all over grace. But if you understand the sacrifice that has been made on your behalf, you're going to want to. You're not going to go out and be crazy. You're going to want to serve God. That's what grace does. Now, I don't, that doesn't mean you are in less need of grace ever. But hopefully, if grace is doing His work, if you understand grace, then your life is looking better because you just want to serve God. It's not, it's not because... So you don't go to the bad place, right? Because you love God. Turns out, you're also going to the good place. And I hope they have that frozen yogurt there. Um, like they do in there. <laughs> now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Remember, there's, I told you the theologian said there's three, two, maybe three uses of the law. There's order, societal order. We need laws. We need there to be a speed limit because I may not go 35, but I'm probably not going 85, right? Um, but we need there to be laws to create order. And we need laws of the, the law to, to demonstrate our sin. It came because of transgressions to show us how we need a Savior. It's like a mirror. So then the law was our guardian. The Greek word there is um, pedagogos. It's the word we get pedagogy from, but it's it is um, it's also the word it's like pet, as in pediatrician. Uh, it's like babysitter is what it means. The law is our babysitter. Just kept us safe as our guardian until Dad got home, right? Until until Jesus came back, uh, and then um, for in Christ you are all sons of God. And I said sons and daughters. I'm not messing with the Greek. It just, it means children. Like if you study Spanish or French, they use the masculine word for if they're describing. That's what the same thing. For as many of you were baptized into Christ and put on Christ, there is now neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Now, I have heard this verse. This is the end of the chapter. We'll, we'll be done. I've heard this verse to be used to, to sort of justify individual groups. But actually, that's the opposite of what what Paul is saying. There are, there are no more individual groups. Your identity isn't that you're a male or a female or a, oh, poor me, I'm a slave, or look at me, I'm free, or anything like this. Your identity is in Christ. You have a whole new identity. You are not anything other than who you are in Christ. And that is more than enough. That is so much, you can say, well, that said that a little bit negatively. You're not anything more than what you are in Christ. Sounds bad. What I mean is, that's everything. It's everything. So, that's really where I wanted to, to, to finish it, and we're right on time. But uh, we got, let's, let's, any, any questions? Thought, something that wasn't clear. Something that needs a little filling in. I see, I see the look on your face. Tell me. Come on. Just help me. Yeah. If I can. I'm still stuck on, on doing good deeds. When you were talking about doing good deeds, did I hear you say you do it for the wrong reason? Something, something. And then, so when I do good deeds, and I think that I'm doing them, because I want to do them and what have you, am I to examine the reason I'm doing 
I think it's a good idea to examine the reason. I'm not saying don't do it. It still makes society give a good. I mean, I, I love it if someone who doesn't love Jesus feeds the homeless. Pray, you know, praise God. I can praise God for that. But uh, I, I want them to do that. I want society to be a better place. But what I'm saying is, it doesn't help you in the eyes in the eyes of God. It doesn't. It doesn't increase. Uh, it, it's not. Um, it doesn't save you because you're a good person. Does it, those good works don't save you because you're a good person. right? You've just done it to serve yourself. You know, people say, I just love the way I feel. And I do it because I just get such a good feeling. I, I love that. I'm not trying to say that's wrong. But I'm, what I'm saying is it's not. there's not a saving action in that because you're not doing it morally without self. I mean, you can... You can I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying to take away your joy. What I'm saying is that God has, um, it, God has just bypassed all of the moral quandary and said you're saved. So let's trust God. And the more that you love God, the more that you're going to do those things anyway. So help me out, Katie. What's up? We're not like all people. We're not like all but we're, we're going to get to, so you gotta, it just means you have to come back next week. <laughs> and then we get to that. Because we get into the fruit of the Spirit. So here's, here's a way to say that we don't do it for salvation, we do it from salvation. My question is, how do I decide that? You know what I'm saying? If you did something good, do you have to ask yourself why you did it? Well, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't even, listen, listen. The Christian doesn't really have to discern it. Because you're already saved by grace. So in Christ, you can go and do What I'm saying is really the non-Christian needs to discern it. So the Christian can What I'm saying, we don't, I mean, we're saved by grace. Go do good works. Awesome. Awesome. And if, and if you, there's a selfish motivation, you're forgiven. <laughs> Give glory to God. So, um, so, help me out. I was just, I, I think of it this way. You're already one with Christ. So you have that relationship with Christ. You are a believer in Jesus. And those who are not believers in Jesus, they're the ones that, they're just, they're, they're fulfilling self. They're not fulfilling what God has called us to do. That's how yeah. I look at it. And I think that, I think that your word more about, well, what, am I doing it just because of me or, but because you already walk with Christ, you are you have that relationship with Jesus. You're good. <laughs> I well, I mean, I, listen. I, I've told, I mean, said this before. I can come out of a sermon. I can say, that's pretty good. <laughs> and that's not great. It doesn't mean that God's not going to use that, you know. And I just mean, oh God, I just sorry. I just, I just, I repent. I can repent of of congratulating myself for that. And and you know, and yet when our people say. You know, if they do, nice sermon. Now I can say praise God, and I mean that sincerely. But but there are times where I take those, try to take the credit back for myself, and it's just something that is something to repent of. But it's not that you shouldn't do the good work. Last thing, John Z, and then we're we gotta go. All right. Yeah, that's true. I'm not trying to cut you off. I want y'all to keep talking, but I got to go to church. <laughs> the Lord be with you. Let us bless the Lord. Amen.